Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show this week. A couple sponsors I want to mention at the top of the show. One of them is a conference called Converge SE in Columbia, South Carolina, this April 25th through 27th. You can check that out at ConvergeSE.com. And Environments for Humans, our longtime sponsors, are doing the Responsive Web Design Summit, which is an online summit, April 16th through 18th. Check that out at RWDSummit.com. We'll tell you a little bit more about it later in the show. But for now, let's kick things off. Welcome to the Shop Talk Show, a sound effects podcast all about web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, everybody. And today, uh, we have a uh, special guest, uh, accessibility expert, Derek Featherstone. Hello there. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, We really appreciate it. It's always good to have uh, somebody who's a a pro in their space like a specialization pro in their field. Uh, For those who don't know you or don't follow you or uh, stuff like that, can you maybe tell us a little bit about what you do, your life, your, your work, stuff like that? Sure. So I'm, I'm Derek Featherstone. I am feather on Twitter. I'm a, an accessibility specialist uh, with a company called simply accessible. And we're, we're accessibility specialists. And what we do is, do our very best work to try and make sure that that any site that we build or applications that we build or that our clients are building uh, are as accessible as they possibly can be to people with disabilities and and focusing on on not just meeting sort of technical compliance requirements uh, but actually trying to up the game and uh, helping, helping it, helping people focus on user experience for people with disabilities so that it's not just, you know, oh, this is passable. It's more like this, this is, this is actually, uh, an engaging and, and easy to use experience for, for people that have a variety of disabilities. So that's, that's our entire focus. Yeah, that's beautiful. We rarely hear it talked about in that way. It's usually more like, what can we, what can we do? I don't know. You know, what, the very technical specific stuff to, to get you there towards accessibility, but less so on the, can we make this a beautiful experience? Yeah, I think that's, it, we, we find that quite often, uh, that it's, that, that people, you know, they know that, that it's something that they need to do, but they're not really familiar with accessibility and how it works. So they, they often look at it as part of, you know, quality assurance and, and QA checks and things like that. So, it ends up being where where you know there are a lot of technical components to accessibility, but uh, we're 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 big believers that it's just it's just as much uh, it's just as much design as it is development. Ah, uh, I'd say that the, the average shop talk show listener is probably in this. Well, you know, just through my own eyes of of think of you know, <laughs> this is how I am too. Is that uh, I get it, you know, I, I kind of, you know, it's not, it's not my, uh, 
strongest point is is building accessible things, but I'm kind of in this tweener stage of wanting to know more and trying harder about this stuff, but but ultimately being a little confused by it and not sure. And sometimes you stick your toe in the water and write a little bit about it, but get, you know, kind of get swarmed with uh, uh, people that know more than you or have different opinions on how it all goes down. I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going with this exactly, but just Wrap trying to up, give, you, give you some background on, on a, we'll, we'll probably, just because this is a front-end development kind of show we'll probably end up talking about some uh some some technical things but hopefully from the you can add your perspective yeah that's that's totally fine i mean we've got uh yeah. you know our our team has a lot of experience with both the design and the dev side of it i mean i started out when i uh, i used to be a high school teacher and then and then i left that world to uh start my own start my own company and then you know the first gigs that i got were were all development related gigs um, and, and part of the reason that I started doing development was because I was teaching people about the internet and how to build websites and web pages and, and using a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the, the techniques. And, and I just felt like I don't want to be that person that only knows how to teach people how to do stuff. I want to actually be able to create production quality websites, uh, you know, on, on their own and then use that experience so that I'm actually, not teaching people just because I, I read a book and, and know some specs, but I want to actually teach from, from my own experiences. And, and so that's kind of, I've got that dev background as well, uh, both front end and back end. So, um, that, you know, we can, we can geek out on dev stuff. Absolutely. Sweet. Um, so it's simply accessible is, a consultancy, I guess. And do you, and you said you guys build apps for clients and then you also help clients fix their own applications. Like what's the breakdown there? Is it like 50, 50 on, on what you guys are contracted to do? Or? Uh, it, it really depends. And, and even, you know, even when we're working with, when we're working with clients, one of the things that, that happens if they've contracted us to, to help them with their app, what often ends up happening is, is we'll get to a certain to a certain point where they say, you know, we, you've given us this recommendation, but we don't know how to do this. Uh, you know, we're, we've tried this, but we can't, you know, we can't make it behave the way that you're saying it needs to behave. So, can you do this for us? And so, you know, sometimes we're we're building things on their own. Other times, we're actually just integrating ourselves with with other people's teams and and help help them build things or help them design things. Um, you know, our, our team is, we're all accessibility specialists, but we've got designers and developers on the team that all have, have that, that, uh, you know, really high end design experience or, or hardcore dev experience. And we've just kind of upskilled everybody with accessibility. And so when we're, when we're talking with people and working with them, it's, you know, we're able to do the kinds of work that our clients are, are needing of us, but we're also able to add that accessibility layer to it. So that's, that's, uh, you know, one of the ways that we, that we get involved, um, in, in terms of actually building apps ourselves. There's other times where, you know, somebody does come to us and they come to us, you know, we, we would love a website to be built and we know it needs to be uh, accessible. So can you guys take this for us and, and run with it? And, and so we, we do that as well. Uh, we're, we're kind of, you know, a full shop able to do sort of everything. But, you know, I, I would say probably 80% of the time is, is spent 
doing consulting work for clients and maybe, you know, 20% is people coming to us and asking us to build sites or, or applications for them. Cool. Awesome. That's a good mix. Good mix. Well, uh, thanks again, Derek, for coming on the show. Uh, let's jump into maybe some news and links. That sound good, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure how I first became aware of this site or, or <clears throat> when I put it in my RSS reader, but I was just kind of going through articles the other day and there's this mega article that came, came up, uh, that was all about accessibility and that looked pretty good from the accessible culture blog. I guess that's Jason kiss. Do you know who that is, Derek? It's just part of your, I, I do know Jason. Okay, cool. It was about, um, the article was called Not So Simple ARIA Tree Views in Screen Readers. So about the, the, the trouble of, I guess, role equals tree, a tree view being like, like, uh, I don't know, nested navigation, right? right? Um, and it was all about that. Did you happen to see this one? I, I didn't see that one, but I know, I know, uh, know Jason's work pretty well. Um, so I, I didn't dig into that one, but. Right. Yeah. What's can you summarize, Dave? Maybe did you? Yeah, so it's he's kind of just goes uh, like summarizes the tree view and what it does, and he builds like an example test case. Uh, but then he kind of runs it through all the screen readers, and then each one sort of has a, like a different, or I guess browsers and screen readers. Maybe you can clarify, Derek, how they they interact exactly. But each one had kind of their own unique problems, you know? So he tried like four different options as to what to do here, like in order, like messing with tab index even, and then like even, uh, doing display none and aria labeled by. And, uh, so it kind of ended up being this kind of, uh, so- somewhat long and, and it seems difficult uh, to, uh, successfully pull off, uh, roll equals tree. So, uh, I don't know. I, I guess, um, that's kind of a two part thing. Like Derek, uh, I guess maybe for listeners who don't know, and you can probably explain this a lot better, but how do screen readers and, uh, and, uh, browsers kind of interact and then be like, do you think we should be marking up all of our drop-down lists in tree, Rolikos tree? Okay, so the the first part, um, I mean, at a really at a really high level, you basically have uh, on on the computer. There's within the operating system, there's an accessibility API, and that's kind of the bridge between between assistive technologies like screen readers and the browser. So you know, we write we write markup, and that gets interpreted by the browser. And that DOM is then exposed in some way, shape, or form through an accessibility API that's on that particular platform. Uh, whether it's you know whether it's Mac or Windows or Linux, they all have have different uh, you know different APIs. Um, and and then the assistive technology taps into that API to interact with uh, with with the website. So they're they're all kind of different, and screen readers are a very different beast than say uh, voice recognition software they're they're all they all have different ways of of interacting and so if you're you know if you're using a screen reader it's it's going to depend on the screen reader that you're using whether or not it it looks at the dom directly via the accessibility api or uh the you know some of the screen readers that are sort of popular create on on page load they create basically this this uh screen reader buffer 
and where it stores kind of that initial state of the page. And then that buffer is what gets exposed to gets exposed to the assistive technology through the uh, through the API. So they're basically taking a snapshot, uh, and you know that that's on on Windows based screen readers. They don't all work like that, and and even some of the most popular ones are are kind of changing the way that they do this so that we don't have uh, you know one of the problems when you create a snapshot is that it gets out of sync with the dynamic stuff that we do on the web today. We we run an AJAX call and the content's updated. Well, what ends up happening is that that snapshot that's in the screen reader's memory, for lack of a better term, is now out of date. And so there's there's. Are you kind of like anti the ones that do the snapshot thing? Is it better to use it to support the DOM? Well, I mean, real, yeah, like that? full real time inspection of the DOM and and is is actually you know much 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 better. It's not uh, it's not perfect, but it's definitely much better. And yeah. the uh, you know the 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 ones that that create this this buffer uh it, it's kind of just the way that they were originally built right and, and so one of the things that happens with most software and and i'm not saying that this is definitely the case but you know one of the things that happens with a lot of software is you create a, a version one and then you move to version two and three and four and you keep moving on and you just keep adding more stuff in uh without ever really you know doing a, a complete rewrite yeah. from scratch and and so you know a problem that might have been in existence in ver- Mark One version screen reader is is something that gets patched, but it doesn't necessarily address the you know the real the real need. It's something that it keeps getting added to over time instead of actually just ripped out and and something new put in. So, and I think that's not just a screen reader thing. That's just software development in general, right? Absolutely. So it's so as I under understand this a bit, there's there's the so if there, if you're talking about some specific feature, first the browser has to support whatever feature that is. Second, there's an API that so the the browser needs to, there needs to be an API to support that feature, and third, then the screen reader needs to support it. So it's not it's never as simple as just this screen reader supports that, right? This gets kind of a yeah layered. System. Yeah, exactly. There there's right. there's a lot of different layers in it, and you know one of the things that um, that that I think frustrates you know developers that uh, that that get into this kind of stuff uh, is that it it seems like there's there's inconsistencies and and that's what you you know you just taking a look at Jason's article on uh, on tree views one of the reasons that we have to test across all these different um, you know all these different different screen readers and with assistive technology is just that they there there's different interpretations and this is no this is no different than browsers even right if if a, a browser makes a right. particular interpretation of the spec and they implement it in a particular way uh then that has a knock on effect in in the way that it either does or doesn't get exposed to the screen reader through the API uh, and so there there there's you know there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of different layers and um it's it's unfortunately just kind of the way it is and that's why you know, I know when we do testing, we have this big matrix that we use to say, you know, we're going to test in this browser with these, you know, with these pieces of assistive technology. And and again, this is pure technical testing. It's not even not even user testing. We usually get to that later down the road. But in terms of the technical testing, we basically create a matrix that says, here's here's what we're going to, you know, we're going to test this in and and see exactly what's going on. And it's it's. Uh, in some cases, it's a bit of a nightmare. Get as much green as you can on that. Matrix yeah, and and it's it it gets a bit 
it gets a bit tedious at times, but you want to make sure that you're, that you're, you're covering things because, you know, the organizations that we work with, they'll say, well, we, you know, we want to make sure that we support, uh, you know, just like we have browser support matrix matrices for, for browsers and have graded browser support. People want to do similar things with, with screen readers and, and they'll say things like, well, we want to, you know, the current version of JAWS is version 14. And so we want to support version 12, 13, and 14. And we want to support on, on the Mac platform. We want it to support, uh, the current version of voiceover and on, on Windows. We want it to also support, um, uh, there's a free screen reader out there called NVDA. Uh, and, and so we want it to support mm-hmm. that as well. And, and so we get into these things where it's not just, it's not just that assistive technology support. It's those assistive technologies in different browsers. And, and, you know, we find, find bizarre bugs all the time. Um, just that just don't, you know, they don't make sense, but it's, there's something in the way that it's, that the assistive technology is in interpreting what's being exposed, uh, via the API that, that happens to live in the browser. Yeah. So hence the matrix, right? The, exactly. The one, one, one axis of the matrix is the, the assistive technology and one yeah. is the browser that that assistive technology is being used in. Plus we just wanted to have a tool that we could call the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, that was awesome. That was really good explanation. Um, so I guess back to role equals tree, uh, is this something you're using like in your day to day? Is this something you recommend or is it, uh, problematic enough or complicated enough that you just kind of don't, or what would you, so we don't use trees unless we're actually really trying to create a true tree. Like a file, like, like a file browser and a code. Yeah. Exactly. Something, something like that. And if, if we were to do that, then we would, we would want to, uh, you know, we, we would, we would go ahead and make this, this work like, uh, you know, work like a tree and we would implement, uh, some of the, some of the aria that's there. Uh, and, you know, and I'll be honest too, one of the things that we, we focus on, we'll, we'll do the testing and we'll put it together. And, and, you know, Jason, you know, Jason is great at, uh, at going through and creating test cases and things like that. And one of the things that, that we always try to keep in mind is that ARIA is pretty new technology. Uh, even though it's been around since 2005, it's still, there's, there's still improvements and implementations that are being made. And, and it's, it's not a bulletproof solution, even though it's, it's designed to be this bridging solution so that we can go from, you know, our, our, if, if you can't rewrite an application from scratch and, and, you know, we don't have a tree control in, uh, in HTML5, maybe there will be an HTML10 or whatever, who knows. But we don't, we don't have those things. So we need to recreate them with ARIA. The, the only problem with that is that it relies on technology that's not supported everywhere. And, and, you know, a lot of people are quite often surprised when I tell them things like, uh, that ARIA doesn't really have, uh, support in, in voice recognition software. So if you use something with, you know, create something with ARIA and expect a certain type of interaction, it may work fine with, with some particular screen readers, but it's probably going to have no impact on, on voice recognition software. And, and so we're always trying to balance, you know, our position on ARIA is that, you know, we should use it, but we always need to have 
you know, going back to our to our progressive enhancement approach, Aria, we talk about HTML and then CSS and JavaScript. Then we look at Aria as that that other layer, uh, but we want to make sure that we always have a working solution that's as good as it can be before we layer the Aria on. And then, so like a working solution would basically be, uh, you know, kind of for for a sided mobile de- mobile developer like like tab keys and enter keys more or less, right? Like you should be able to open a control with an enter key or manipulate it. Is that kind of what you mean there? Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's part of it, um, but I also mean in terms of you know things like things like. Uh, you know, and I'll give you a, a really, really simple example. You can you can turn a link into a button for a screen reader by giving it a mm-hmm. roll of button, right? And and a screen reader yeah. is going to treat it as as uh, as a button if it supports Aria. But if that screen reader didn't have Aria support, and and most of them do now, right? There, so there there is that. But but if you don't, uh, if you let that be announced to a screen reader as a button. There's this particular type of interaction that a screen reader user is going to want to to have for that, and they're going to expect to be able to click that button with the space bar. Uh, the space bar or the enter key will will uh, activate a button. But one of the problems that we often see is somebody will take a link and they'll add roll equals button, but they won't do anything to take care of of the space bar. So they don't have a, a click handler on there or a keyboard handler on there that that traps for the space bar so that it fires the fires that button's uh, click event when when the uh, when the space bar is pressed, and so we look at that and think, well, if you're if you're using Aria to create a button, uh, a, a better solution is to just create a button in the first place, right? And so pick yeah. something that that let's let's not create things that rely on Aria, uh, particularly things like trees. I mean, those are those are pretty complicated structures. Um, you know, there's there's no reason to uh, you know you can recreate a tree people have been doing it for years with divs and spans uh, but there are are certain things that you need to do to kind of make sure that that tree is as tree-like as it can be even without aria and so the things that we do with aria are to you know they're they're to say this thing has this particular role it has these properties and it has this state those are the three basic things that aria gives you uh, and and we you know, we use those as much as possible, but we also try to find other ways of, of doing those things. So if you think of a tree view, you've got, you know, beside each little folder, you've got like a plus minus icon, right? For expanding and collapsed. Mm-hmm. Well, you can give, you can give that tree, uh, that, that tree item. You can, you can say that it's, you know, aria expanded equals true and or aria expanded equals false. And that will tell people what the state is, but only if they have an aria capable browsing scenario. Uh, whenever possible, if, you know, unless we know we're dealing with a very specific environment where ARIA is going to be 100% guaranteed to be there, we embed a lot of that collapsing and expanding. Uh, we, we embed some of that state information in the alt text of the plus minus icon so that somebody that doesn't have ARIA still gets a clue as to what's, you know, what's going on there. Uh, and, and that's something that, that is quite often missed, uh, when, when you're using ARIA. People, people make the assumption that, hey, this ARIA is going to solve all our problems. And it, it is pretty good, but it, it doesn't have, uh, good fallback right now. And, and so I always like to say that, uh, you know, ARIA doesn't, 
absolve us of our responsibility to use the most semantic and meaningful markup that we can in the first place. CSS developers think you got it tough. <laughs> Triple it. Cool. Um, yeah, let's see. I, uh, yeah, I kind of just looking at our list of, of news and stuff to go over and I see it's like we're at a, we're at a bit higher level than some of the rest of this news. But I recently <laughs> had a, 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 just a post that I published as I, I write mostly about CSS and it was about kind of, um, the, the nav tag, right? That just in HTML, just nav. And it, uh, uh, I, I had heard a presentation or mostly read people's articles that they were at this presentation of this uh, completely blind man who was talking about web development and markup and navigation specifically. And he made this very strong point or he felt strongly about it that you shouldn't use um, lists as navigation. He's like, ah, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's too verbose. I don't like it or whatever. You should just use nav and then just have a bunch of links inside that nav tag. And I kind of posted about it and posted some links to that, to that article. And I was like, isn't this kind of interesting? It's been kind of weird in HTML5 anyway, because we used to have lists for nav and now we have to wrap that again in a nav tag. It seems like we have more markup than we used to have less of. What do you think about that? And it sparked quite a conversation. So this was one of those moments where I was like, wow, this, you know, this, the, the world of accessibility can kind of come down hard on you if you are prepared for it. Anyway, it sparked quite a, quite a conversation thread and weighing it out after that thread had kind of settled down, it seemed like using lists for navigation was, was kind of a better idea. Uh, but anyway, I'm not sure if you saw it or how, how you think about that kind of thing. I just put it, I just put it in here cause we, you know, we have an accessibility guy on and I'm sure that's kind of a microcosm of what you do. I'm sure you deal with bigger things. Yeah. I, I, I totally remember that, uh, that article and, and, you know, I'll tell you when I read it, my feeling, you know, as I, as I looked through the comments, uh, you know, and this is, this is my experience. It may not be everybody's experience, but there's, there's a couple of different things at play here. There's, there's a, you know, there's personal preference and there's also performance. And one of the, one of the things that, that people always talk about with, uh, you know, with screen reader users is, you know, do they want to know that an image is there or do they not want to know that the image is there? And, and you probably saw that on, on Zeldman's article as well. Uh, it yeah, it kind of yeah. had the, the, you know, the same kind of, the same kind of feel. Do, do they want all text? Do they not want all text? Um, and, yeah. and do they, you know, do they want them to be in lists or do they not want them to be in lists? And, and, you know, that, that's, that's the thing that I love about accessibility is that it's not, it's, it's not that simple, right? It's not just a, you want them in lists or you don't want them in lists. Uh, you know, the, the gentleman that said that he doesn't want them in lists, he maybe doesn't want them in lists until he finds a situation where, geez, it would be really nice if this had been in a list, right? And, and, and I'm not, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of preference there. And one of the things that we've found over years is that, is that people will express those preferences and then they get, they get taken to be, uh, you know, oh, well, if it, if it meant that for that person, then it means this for everyone. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's kind of taking it to, to the extreme. But, but ultimately, you know, if you asked a whole bunch of screen reader users, um, if you ask them in a, in a survey kind of thing, you know, do you want your navigation in lists or do you not want them in a list? Well, you know, you're, you're probably going to get 50, 50 people. Some people are going to say yes. Some people are going to say no. Uh, they're, they're going to, they're going to expe- express their preferences. And, 
you know, one of the things that, that we always find is that people, people express preference. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about performance. And if they had a task that required that extra piece of information and it was confusing to them because that extra piece of information wasn't there, then when it when it comes to performance, even though they said that they would actually rather not have them in lists, when it comes to performance, it might have actually been better that they were in lists. And so we, we kind of take all of that with, uh, with a grain of salt in, in what we do. Just by understanding that there there are preferences and and there's going to be there are going to be things that you you know that you just you you can't make that decision and and you know the, their their preference is going to be their preference and and it may be too verbose for them but for somebody that's a brand new screen reader user or you know somebody that's less experienced mm. they might actually really appreciate the fact that they're in a list and it tells them that in that nav section or in that nav element. There's actually a list, and you know, as you move through a list, depending on your verbosity, uh, the, each screen reader has different settings for verbosity. You can say, "I want to hear everything," or "I want to hear sort of really, you know, terse expressions of of the content that are in there." And some people will want to hear that they're on item number two of five. And so, marketing up in a list actually gives you uh, provides that information there for people that that want it. Uh, so you know we we tend to to err a little bit on the on the side of caution and and use what seems to be the most semantically correct markup and and sometimes that ends up being being more verbose than than some people might like but it's better that you get information more information than you want generally speaking than to miss something that might be critical mm. So okay, working off of that semantic markup, there's there's one thing of describing it with semantics and ARIA roles, and then there's how CSS can affect those things. So we have a question here by Michael White. He says, "I teach web design, uh, and I have discovered that using CSS's display table is a handy way if you're targeting IE8 plus and other modern browsers to get equal height columns. That's something we might want to do visually on a website. My question is: Is this an acceptable use of?" CSS display table. I read somewhere that screen readers would interpret the element that has been set with display table as a table. Uh, do you think I should even be showing this to students? I've so I've never seen anything where a screen reader actually um, actually interpreted display table as turning it into a table. Um, so you know the 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 theory on that is that you have say two divs that are beside each other and you you have a display table on it so that they basically forces them to be the same height. Right. Um, yep. and, and that CSS interpretation, uh, as far as I know, and I, I've never seen any cases where it actually did this, that it turned, you know, in, in the mind of a screen reader, it turned that into, um, you know, that it turned that into a table in the screen reader's mind. Uh, well, that's good. Yeah. News. I mean, that doesn't mean that it, that it hasn't happened in some obscure, yeah spot somewhere. Uh, but as far as I know, I've never seen that happen now. I mean, Hey, maybe if, if, if you've got, uh, if you've got an example out there or a test case or anything, um, you know, we've, we've never, we've never come across it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So, um, if, if you have more info on that, uh, these are the kind of things that happen in comment threads. Yeah. Somebody will like dislike display table and they'll be like, that's bad for screen readers. And you, no, no cited link at all. Yeah. 
And you'd be like, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, it, that's <laughs> well, you know, it's the internet. So yeah. that's what happens in comments <laughs> on anything. It's it's that's just kind of how the way that it, the way that it is, and you see it in articles all the time too. I remember seeing an article that you know that spawned me to write an article uh, about about CSS, and somebody had actually said. Uh, in the comments of their CSS, they were doing a, a menu kind of thing. You mentioned menus earlier. Uh, you know, they, they had something in their commented in their code. Use display none for the, or no, use off left positioning for this instead of display none because it's better for screen readers. And I wrote a whole article about it basically saying better for screen readers. Like it, it, it entirely depends on the context. And we're, and we're also not just talking about screen reader users. We're talking about sighted keyboard users and, and people that use other assistive technology. And in fact, the way that, the way that they had created the menu by positioning a sub menu off left, they were actually making it really hard. It was actually easy for a screen reader user, but for a whole bunch of other audiences, it was making it really bad because the sub menu was hidden off the screen. And as you were tabbing through, the focus is basically off the screen. And so somebody that's using a keyboard, but that can see the screen, they have to tab five or six times because the, the way that they had coded it, the sub menu didn't become visible when it, when its items took the focus. And, and so you've created, you know, by seeing something where it said, you know, Oh, off left positioning is better for screen readers. Uh, it actually created a problem for somebody else because they they didn't really kind of understand the 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 impact of it and and how it would actually fit in context. It happens all the time. People people see one thing and they're like, oh, well, this is the way I do it. And and I I wish it was it were that simple. But there's a lot of cases where where it it you know it just it can't be that simple because it's all. It's all dependent on how you're how you're trying to use things and 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 what the interface is and what tasks people are trying to complete. Well, in general, like, do you have a rule of thumb about what CSS properties affect assistive technology? I would imagine display none, visibility hidden, uh, but like beyond those, or and then off left or like position left. What are there any others that like might affect? assistive technologies that you can think of offhand or do they tend to not care about presentational stuff like text transform uppercase? Yeah, so some of the, some of the things are, are, you know, kind of bizarre. Uh, there's, there's bugs in different versions of screen readers. You know, the, the screen readers, the way that they work, you know, they're, they're kind of intercepting the, the screen content, right? Because they're not just, they're not just browser things. They're, they're interfacing with the entire computer. And, and I'm, I'm being, you know, really general here because not every screen reader is, is exactly like this, but, you know, there's a bug in, in a version of window eyes where if you had something, you know, a, a div or, or something like that, that had a height of one pixel and a width of one pixel, uh, it would basically mean that it, it wasn't, um, you know, it, it, it was, it was kind of like, I think, gosh, I think it was kind of like the the screen reader put this in into its code so that it would not um, you know not read out any of those tracking ad gifs like, and stuff and spacer gifs. Okay, yeah. Uh, but what what right. ends up happening is people have used other techniques to hide things. Like people will say, you know, clip this to be you know clip this to be zero zero, uh, and you know there's there's got to be 
I can't even remember exactly how it is, but there's got to be like a minimum height of, of one pixel and one pixel width on a, on an image for a particular version of window eyes to actually recognize its existence. So people were doing things to hide content from screen readers or to, to create content that was hidden from view, but specifically read by screen readers by clipping it to zero, zero so that it had, you know, no, you know, it basically didn't show up, but it, it was actually you know, targeted at screen readers, but it was not available to, to those screen readers. So there's all kinds of weird little, little bugs like that. Um, one of the, one of the things that, uh, you know, that we, we advocate, you know, people say, you know, display none is bad for accessibility, but in many cases, it's actually your friend for accessibility because ultimately what it does with display none, even though it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's, it's in the presentational layer, it effectively, you know, for the most part, it, it basically hides that DOM node. So using display none, uh, and then bringing it back to display block or, or whatever, you know, whatever display property you want to use, uh, that, that actually works out really well from a, from a, a screen reader perspective you know, in many cases, just because there's times when you actually want to hide things, right? You, you, you don't want them to be available to, if they're not on the screen, you know why should uh, why should it be there for a screen reader user? Uh, and so there's there's lots of cases where you know the display property is actually your friend from an accessibility perspective. Uh, you have to use it wisely, but it, it's something that you can actually use uh, in a in a good way. And it's not uh, it's it's only a problem if you're not quite sure how to use it. Um, and so that, you know there's there's other properties. Some of the things that we're seeing now though um, that are are proving problematic. Our, our, uh, we've been doing a lot of work with, with some clients on, uh, on their redesigns and they're doing responsive things. And, and, and that's, you know, that's fantastic because I think that's, that's great. A lot of people talk about the relationship between responsive and accessibility and, and that these are, this is a match made in heaven and things like that. And one of the interesting things that we're seeing is that, uh, you know, when there, there's actually some problems that are created by, by, doing things in a responsive way uh, only because because of the way that the page changes, right? It, it transforms from we have this particular layout and, and visible display on a desktop computer. Uh, and when we're on an iPad, sort of that medium size, we've got another display. And when we get down to a phone, we've got uh, even still another display. And when the display changes, one of the things that we're finding is that, that when the display changes, you actually need to take into account what that means uh, in terms of source order. Um, you know, you, you when you change the display of something like a menu, for example, um, you're you're actually changing the interaction. And if you're changing the interaction, you might actually need a different source order, different keyboard interaction. Uh, there, there's a whole lot wrapped up into this that uh, that you know really really can cause you know, quite a bit of havoc in terms of how, uh, you know, how a, a responsive design actually works from an accessibility perspective. So we're, we're seeing things like that. And we just saw this recently too, that uh, animations and transitions uh, can be a real, uh, a real pain for somebody that's, that's using a mobile, uh, a mobile phone or a smaller screen device, maybe even a, you know, an iPad mini or a tablet when, when those transitions and sliding animations and things take up take up a lot of the room 
it, it actually causes problems with assistive technology that's running on the phones or, or on the tablets in that they, you know, the, the assistive technology on the mobile is kind of working the same way as another layer that here's what's on the screen and I know the position of all those objects. Uh, well, what happens when you have the focus on a link and then you, you know, you click on that link, the focus should stay there, but you, you slide a panel up or down and you, you make a move with that responsive design to slide it up into place so that this new panel shows up while well, you are on one link and now you're on a completely different link because you've, you've done this sliding animation and transition. And, and we just did, uh, did work with a client here. Uh, in, in a big retail client here in Canada and, and that has uh, an American, you know, American uh, site as well. And they're really responsive, really cool design, but those transitions actually really made it next to impossible for somebody using say voiceover on, on an iPhone to use that navigation mechanism at all. Uh, so it, it was really kind of, you know, really, really, really kind of uh, interesting to see and, and something where, I think people need to to be cautious with the way that we, you know, we just assume that we've got these transitions and these these sliding animations, and you know that, that they're not going to cause any problems because if it doesn't cause a problem on the desktop, well, why would it cause a problem on on a phone? Well, on a phone, it, it's a, it's a different experience, and and you know that that sliding panel that you have that takes up a small portion of the screen on a desktop actually takes up your entire screen on the phone. And so that, that whole screen being animated can cause all kinds of problems. It would be good to make a, a test case for that type of thing. So it could be like, look, here's a good, here's a good, bad example. Yeah. Good, bad example. <laughs> so yeah. We're, we're actually working example. on that, uh, working on that now because we've got, I've got, uh, a couple of other talks coming up. I'm going to do, uh, a talk at mobilism in, uh, Amsterdam in May and and it's all going to be about these kinds of things that you know the the there's this relationship between accessibility and responsive is is supposed to be as i said this match made in heaven but there's actually a whole bunch of issues that we need to kind of get out there so i'm going to do that and have a, a workshop in uh here in Ottawa in April as well a full day workshop on that kind of stuff too that'll be great we'll keep an eye out for that post a link if we can uh, I got to do a sponsor here quick. We have Converge SE sponsoring this. This is a, 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 a if you've ever heard of UnmatchedStyle.com, they have kind of a gallery and link site and interviews. And it's a really great site. The guys behind that, Gene J uh, and Geo, <laughs> those folks, they do this conference called Converge SE, Columbia, South Carolina, coming up here April 25th through 27th. Uh, so check it out at convergese.com. They always do really cool conference uh, websites because uh, Giovanni is such a great illustrator. This one is like this big Yeti dude at the top. <clears throat> uh, and they've been awesome in the past. Well, they had that like robot T-Rex one last time. It was so awesome. I'm going to be at it. So you can come and see me, uh, Aaron Draplin, Daniel Burka, Carl Smith, Jen Lucas, past guests of the Shop Talk show. So that would be worth checking out. Uh, we're sponsoring a track with Code Pen too. That should be pretty cool. Um, I really can't wait. It's a cool. It's Columbia is their capital, and they have a really cool capital building. It's just a nice place to visit in general. I hope to see some of you guys in Columbia, South Carolina, April twenty fifth through twenty seventh. ConvergeSC dot com. Hey you. Yeah. 
those are good guys. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. So let's go on to one more question or another question here. Uh, this one's from uh, Rob DeLuca, and it's a little bit of a uh, hot drama question here. Uh, so, Derek, excited to get your feedback here. Uh, <laughs> currently, I work as a front-end developer for a little agency. I do all that I can to make every website I build out more accessible. I know just how terrible the web is for blind people because my mom is blind. Almost every site she goes to is hard to understand for her. And there are missing alt tags and improper labeling. From what I've seen, the worst offenders are Google and Facebook. There's the drama right there. Uh, <laughs> Facebook makes the screen reader jump around and do funky things a non-sighted person can understand. And Google's G Plus is actually unusable. Whoa. Uh, the side nav is named something like image one, image two, image three, etc. That's unfortunate uh so my question is what do you think we can do to make the web an accessible place right now it really isn't uh blind people are having a super hard time surfing the web and it's not because they're lacking skill sight or technology uh it's because the web because web developers aren't doing their jobs what what so first off have you heard about uh, Google and Facebook being troublesome for non-sighted users or, or people with other disabilities? And then what do you think we can do to make the world or the web a more accessible place? Ooh, yeah. So, the, you know, definitely uh, a, a lot of the big, big companies, Google, Facebook, um, you know, Microsoft, Oracle, they, they've got huge web properties and, and stuff on their hands. And, and I don't envy them at all. Um, there, there's always problems with, you know, with accessibility and, and, you know, definitely heard of, of these kind of problems before. I know, uh, I, I know people that work at Google that are accessibility specialists that work there. <clears throat> um, the same thing at, at Facebook and, and there's, there's accessibility teams there that really care that are, are you know doing their work to you know to get the job done <clears throat> i think even um you know the fact that they're that they're not there uh in in a lot of ways is is something that it's just kind of reality for any big uh, i don't want to say behemoth but in terms of this you know the size of their sites and their web properties they're huge um you know i know one of the things that we that we should do particularly if you're a developer that's in the know and and we shouldn't have to do this, but I think it's important for us to do it. Uh, you know, Facebook has has an accessibility team that's actually on, uh, you know, on on Facebook, and they're even on Twitter. And you know, they you know you can report things to them uh, that that there's problems with whatever. Uh, there are other things that we've done before. Uh, one of the things that and, and Google even uses this this strategy. We see things for for sites all the time that are inaccessible and that we want to, uh, you know, we, we know how it should be. And so we actually write user scripts, grease monkey scripts that, that fix what some of the problems are so that they're not, you know, that they're not horrible. And there's, there's projects out there where, where people can actually be part of a community that fixes accessibility issues. Though there's a Firefox extension that, uh, that IBM created that allows people to be browsing the web and to say, "Hey, I've got a problem on this page. There's this there's this unlabeled graphic, and I can't tell what it is." And that gets submitted, and then there's a community of people that basically say, "Oh, the alt text on this should be 
whatever that alt text should be. And, and then that gets, gets kind of ported back to, uh, saved in this, in this database and reported. And then what happens is when anybody is running this, this extension, it now automatically fixes that site for them. Uh, so that it, it takes into account all those accessibility fixes that are there. It, it's not, it's not perfect. It's something that would give, you know, those kinds of solutions. It, it should never come to that, but the reality of it is it comes to that. And so at a, at a certain point, you know, there's, there's things that you can do to make some of the pain a little bit less. Um, you know, at least when it comes to things like, uh, you know, like alt text and, and images, uh, keyboard, keyboard handling is, uh, is a really, uh, it's a really neglected part of, of enterprise web development. Uh, people that know about it. They get it and they and they sort it out, but there's a lot of people that just don't really think of of keyboard usage when they're building things, and it causes all kinds of problems for for lots of people. Uh, and and the the thing that goes with keyboard, uh, you know, keyboard interactivity is focus management. So that when you when you click on something, where does the focus go? When you click on something with the keyboard, where does the focus move to? One of the biggest problems, and we've seen this. I've actually noticed this on Facebook. They've made a huge improvement. Uh, in the way that they deal with, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff in Facebook where it creates like a flyout. Uh, you know, you've got your timeline down the right hand side and you'll see things ticking past and what's going on there. If you, if you mm-hmm. click on one of those, it will actually show you the flyout of, of the, uh, the, the content that shows you the whole conversation. And one of the things that I've started noticing on Facebook is that they're, when they do a flyout like that or pop up some kind of a modal dialogue or, or light box type thing, they're managing the focus well now such that they bring the focus into that new piece of content mm. that's been shown. So that Is that the ideal is when you move – if you're going to reveal something new, you should move the focus into that thing that you were revealing? Yeah, generally speaking, we, we want to do that. There's not many cases where you, where you don't want to do that. Uh, ideally, you know, if you can do that with source ordering, it means that the next – the next item is going to be the next item in the DOM anyway. Uh, but when you can't do that, it's, you know, combining that with, with focus path management where you bring the focus into that modal dialogue or whatever it is, that actually makes it so that you're, you're creating a logical pathway through the page for somebody so that they don't, they don't click on something and show a dialogue box and then it takes another 50, 50 keystrokes to get to the dialogue box, right? By the, I could see that being weird with like, with with modal pop-ups because a lot of times those get appended like right before the closing body tag because yeah. you need to like historically you've had to deal with Z index issues and stuff. It's better if they're like higher up the DOM or whatever. Yeah. But then that's nowhere near each other in the source order. Then. It, exactly. So you- and and what we tend to do when we're doing dialogues and stuff like that, if we're if we're appending or if we're injecting new content or doing something you know something new, we bring that content and we try to find the most logical source ordered injection point and rather than just doing a you know a, a document dot body dot add child or whatever yeah. uh, we we find the right spot and inject it there as much as possible uh, because they're you know we we want things to be in as logical an order as we can and 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 you know, we want to we want to manage that focus path and and if something goes wrong with the focus path then at least it's in the right source order so that it's it it may not be it may not work perfectly but we've got that fallback mechanism that says you know something happened with the focus 
and you weren't able to put, put the focus in the right spot, but at least it's in the right source order so that you're not having something in the middle of the page and then something that's related to it at the end of the page. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's uh, just because we're <laughs> we've had so much to say this one. We do have two sponsors this week, with the other one being the Environments for Humans. Our longtime sponsors are doing another conference in April called the Responsive Web Design Summit. I would not be surprised if accessibility is brought up regularly at this summit. It's three days. You don't even have to leave your house. It's online only. You visit it, and the, there's actually a good amount of interaction between the people that attend these because there's a chat room, and you literally watch the person's presentation. Um, you know, right through your browser. And so there's a chat room that's attached to that. And there's lots of talking and stuff going on. So check it out at rwdsummit.com. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Three three full days of that. Let's see, we have a coupon code for it, right? 20% off the price of the all three days if you just use coupon code SHOPTALK. So the first day is on performance, the second day, and I think these are kind of loose topics, but performance, then strategy, and then technical issues with it. So you don't have to attend all three days if you don't want to, but you can uh, and I would recommend it. So <laughs> they're pretty fun. <laughs> All right. Well, we got time for another one. Hey. Yeah, we got one more. It actually kind of perfectly ties in here. Uh, it's an audio question from Kyle Zinter, uh, called in and he's, it's a two part question kind of about responsive and then also about accessibility. Here we go. Hello. Kind of a two part question. When dealing with accessibility, we all know how important it is, but it's not always super easy to get perfect. Do you guys have a specific minimum bar that you must reach before being okay with shipping a site? Also, is part of that minimum bar becoming that the site is designed responsibly? I don't know how many people agree with me, but I really see responsive web design closely tied to accessibility, and in my opinion, I tend to put it in the exact same category. Is that crazy? Love the show, guys. Keep up the good work. Okay, so uh, part two, I guess we kind of talked about Kyle that is responsive tied to accessibility, and it kind of is, but then it kind of has problems. But uh, the minimum Derek, bar was the interesting part about this. Yeah, kind of. Derek, do you have like a minimum bar? And actually, people in the chat room are saying like accessibility is nice to have, but it, it and really worth acknowledging. But clients, my clients, have limited funds and time and. Uh, so is there a minimum bar before you ship something? So our, our minimum is, you know, we, we, so our minimum is, is WCAG 2.0 level double a, um, we don't do anything other than that. Um, although let, well, let me, let me rephrase it. When we do our assessments, we, we say, you know, we're going to assess pretty much everything, WCAG, up, even including some of some of the AAA requirements. We report back to them and we give give our clients advice, but we, you know, we we won't let somebody or we won't give our blessing on something uh, that that doesn't meet the AA standard unless they show us at the same time. What is this double A standard? It might be nice to just cover that really quickly. Is it? Is, yeah. there, is there an official standards body for this? Country? So it, this all comes from the W3C, from the World Wide Web Consortium. They have uh, mm-hmm. a web accessibility initiative, which created the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or or you'll hear it pronounced WCAG or WCAG or WCAG, uh, in in different mm-hmm. circles. And that's basically a set of guidelines that that recognizes that you know a we're all we're all busy people. 
and, you know, busy developers and designers and that we can't take the time to test with, with everybody, um, you know, people across all kinds of different disabilities and, and that sort of thing. And so they, they ultimately said, you know, we're going to give people a set of guidelines so that if they don't have time to test with real people, they've at least got these guidelines as a starting point. Um, they're, they're not the end point, but they're the starting point. And so they've got three different levels, level A, level double A, and level triple A. And so level A is like, this is, this is stuff that absolutely must be done or people will not be able to, to use your site or your application. Double A is, I like to think of it this way anyway, that there's, there's a whole bunch of things that, and this is very loose, but there's a whole bunch of things that are going to make it much, much easier for somebody to, to use this site. And if they, uh, you know, it's, it's bordering on uh, things that are making the site almost unusable. Like they would, they might still be able to complete the tasks, but it would be really quite difficult to do so. And then the AAA requirements tend to be things that are, you know, if you can do this, then you really should. But if you can't, then then you can't. That doesn't say that you know that there's stuff in AAA that's that's funny. That's AAA. That's like as that's as high as you can get. Yeah, yeah. And it still is pretty loose. It, well, it's 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 not loose in that sense. They're pretty strict requirements. Um, but oh. but what it you know what I mean is is I'm sort of talking about it loosely in this sense that um, you know we we know that if you don't hit AAA, there's still going to be things that. That are going to be barriers to people, right? There, there's there's no question about it. Uh, but there's a there's a difference in a double A requirement and a triple A requirement. So in a triple A requirement, for example, you need to have uh, real time captioning for for live events. Um, but a double A requirement would be that you don't have to have real time captioning for it, but that a you know that there's a, a transcript available or that there's um, you know or, or that it only applies to, um, you know, to, to recorded events. They're like, they're different levels. Uh, they're still all important, uh, but there's certain things that are kind of pushed off to AAA. And, and, and uh, a, an even better example is, is color contrast. So to meet color contrast requirements for AA, you need to have a, a ratio of, of four to one, generally speaking, uh, for to meet a level uh, AAA for color contrast, you need to meet a higher standard. You need to have color contrast of seven to one between foreground and background color. So it, it's, mm. you know, there's still some people that, that, you know, if you hit AA, there's still some people that are going to have a lot of trouble reading stuff if they have a particular type of low vision. Uh, so if you can, you know, we have some clients that say we're AA for everything and we're AAA for color contrast um, for just that reason. Uh, I don't know if that, Maybe I just made it worse um, by, by, with that explanation, but no, I guess like so. If my site is actually my restaurant site is actually a JPEG, I have failed uh, WCAG uh, A, right? But if it's and if my but if my site doesn't is is actually a website, I can pass A, and then maybe, but. And if I have good contrast, I can pass double A. But if I have super great contrast, I can maybe pass triple A just on the contrast. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll leave it leave it something it like that. I mean, there's a lot more to it, but yeah, that's the that's the idea. 
you have different different levels and and so you know we always say that we're going to go for for double a um and and if somebody doesn't meet double a and they still want to ship their site you know then then we kind of always we we push a little bit and we say well you know you can you can do this we don't advise it things are still broken but if you're going to do this you know you have to do it with the with this plan because if their requirement and and I know we're kind of going into a little bit of circles here, but many government websites or, or many governments around the world are now saying level double A is what you need to do. Uh, and not just for government websites, but even for, you know, for business websites as well. And so that double A requirement, uh, you know, we, we try not to let clients launch something that doesn't meet that double A standard unless they're actually saying, well, we can't do all of this right now. But here's our work plan to make sure that we address those things that are outstanding. So I guess the next logical question is how can people get to double A standard or what, how, you know, how do they start learning about what's involved in there? How can they get there? Um, I know there's a post out there that like accessibility should be left to the experts, but like that's a very small population based on the number of websites there are. So how do people get to WCAG AA? So, you know, I, th- I think the easiest thing to do is, is start with, you know, start with a few sites. There's, there's lots of sites out there that, that provide tutorials and things like that. There's, there's email lists out there as well. Um, you know, the, the W3C has, you know, they have their guidelines and they have, uh, an education and, and outreach group that puts a lot of educational material out about it so that you, you know, if you're learning about accessibility, don't go and just start reading the spec. Like that's the worst, probably the worst thing you could do. <laughs> um, you know, same thing with HTML5. Is it, Do you want to learn about HTML5 by going and reading the spec? Or do you want to actually get in and start doing stuff? And, and I'm so, sure that bums out spec writers. I'm, but, I'm sure right. it does, and, and I'm yeah. completely fine with that. <laughs> they, yeah. I feel like if you tell somebody to read the spec, you've lost. Oh yeah, any sort of Ab- absolutely. It's it's kind of the exact opposite of what you should do, right? So, you know, we we there's there's lots of opportunities for um, you know for people to start learning about this stuff. The I, I think the 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 best way to do it is to you know check out some websites. Remember that it is the internet, so not everything is true. Um, but you know, you'll get a sense of what some of the issues are and, and understand, uh, you know, what, what people need to do. We have a lot of resources on our website, simplyaccessible.com. Uh, WebAIM is another great resource. The W3C has, has great resources in, in their section, particularly the education stuff. Um, you know, the, the, one of the sites that I write for is Web Standard Sherpa. Uh, so webstandardsherpa.com and I write about accessibility things there uh, as well. The, you know, there's lots out there to to do where you can go and read and learn techniques and things like that. Uh, the one of the most, uh, I think one of the most impact, uh, one of the things that you can do that would have the most impact on you though as a as a developer, if you can arrange it, is to you know go to a, a local college or university and see if you can do a, a tour. Of their Center for Students with Disabilities or, or Office of Accommodation or whatever they call it at, at that institution 
and just go and sit and and watch how people work things or or go and you know build build a website and go and and take it to them and see if they can work with it um, there's going to be a lot of things that you won't won't understand right away but you'll learn pretty quickly uh, you'll want to know why things sound so horrible to that screen reader user or why they you know why that uh, the screen reader read out the images uh, source attribute instead of um, you know, instead of skipping over it, or you'll 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 learn a lot about how people actually people with disabilities actually use the web, and that will, you know, that that will give you some really good direction to to start solving problems. And, and I think it's really about doing things one little step at a time. Uh, you know, find one thing that you can improve and go and and learn about learn about alt text, learn about heading structure, and I mean that's all semantics anyway, but you know, understanding the impact that that stuff actually has on people on how they use the web with assistive technology is, you know, I think that's a, that's a really good, uh, you know, a really good, a really good teacher. Um, and, and so I would say there's, there's lots of reading that can be done, lots of things that are really experiential that you could do as well. Very cool. Well, great. Uh, Derek, I feel like we've monopolized enough of your time. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. Uh, I guess uh, our typical sign-off, we just ask guests, how can they follow you, uh, follow your business, give you money? How does that work? Yeah, so I'm Feather on Twitter, and I'm uh, I'm. you can find me on Facebook as well. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm everywhere. Uh, the, the company is, is simply accessible and we've got all kinds of stuff coming up. We're, we're, you know, I've done a bunch of virtual seminars with Jared Spool and the UIE crew. And, uh, and, and so we're actually starting our own, uh, series of virtual seminars. We've got a couple in the bag already, uh, on forms and, uh, making accessible forms, uh, the truth about JavaScript and accessibility. And we've got one coming up in March. That is uh, finding your way with accessible maps. So we're we're punching nice. on that one, and it's basically to give developers and designers the tools that they need to to get started with making maps more accessible. Um, and and so we've we've got a lot of experience implementing maps, and so we've got that. That's a a virtual seminar. It's actually going to go live for open registration in about an hour twenty uh, at, at four p.m. Eastern. So, uh, but you can find all that stuff. Um, you know, find most of the things that we do are, are in my Twitter stream or, uh, we created a, a company Twitter stream recently as well for simply accessible. It's called SA teaches. So SA as in simply accessible and teaches is, uh, is that Twitter handle. And so we, we've got anything that we're going to do is going to show up there as well. Perfect. Great. Well, hopefully, uh, some people will smart, smarten up and start following you guys. So, uh, as usual, everyone, thanks so much for coming out and listening in the chat room, setting, sending in questions and everything. Uh, we really appreciate it. Follow us at Shop Talk Show on Twitter. Buy some t-shirts, shoptalkshow.com slash store. And raise up in iTunes. Just click five-star button. Is that easy? <laughs> Tell your friends. And Chris, anything Yeah, else? I wanted to mention super quick that, that, that these two... <laughs> These two conferences are highly affordable. Some people are like, how do you go to all these conferences? They're so expensive. Both the RWC, rwdsummit.com and Converge are both sub $400 conferences. Very affordable. So check those out. There'll be a link in the show notes. Until next time, folks, shopdogshow.com.